0: Our text this morning is Acts chapter 4, verses 5 to 12. In it, we will see what happens as Peter, whom the text describes as being filled with the Holy Spirit, faces off with the Jewish high priests and other high-ranking religious officials. But before we get there, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? In fact, is it an experience or is it a habit? I like how Andrew Wilson answers that question. He says, yes, it's both. In fact, he illustrates it with the sailing of a boat. You see, when you're sailing a boat, it is being filled with wind, an experience or a habit. It's both, isn't it? Catching the wind on a sailboat is clearly an experience, being seized and carried forward by a mighty power from outside you that you cannot control. But it's also a habit. You see, you can have a mighty wind blowing all around you, but if you don't put the sails up, if you don't pull the main sheet fast or adjust the jib, you're not going to get anywhere. Being filled requires certain habits to be fulfilled. So sailing is the art. It's the art of attentive responsiveness to an external power. You rely entirely on the external power to get you anywhere. You see, a sailor would never imagine, never think to them of themselves as being the power behind the boat, as their own strength pushing the boat. No, they must respond attent- attentively to whatever the wind is doing, which comes through the cultivating awareness and skill and good habits. Well, being filled with the Spirit involves the same both and. We pursue the experience of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul uses experiential words, words like filling, drenching, drinking, pouring. We rely entirely on the Spirit's immeasurable power rather than our own strength to get us anywhere. But there are also habits of the Holy Spirit that we need to develop. We respond attentively to what He is doing in and through us a capacity that comes through awareness, skill, and practice. It's incredible insight that Andrew Wilson gives us. Now, if you remember last week in Acts chapter 3, Peter was in the middle of a powerful sermon, so powerful that the religious authorities felt threatened, and they decided that Peter had to be stopped. Well, they arrest Peter and John, and they threw them in jail not really knowing what they were going to do with them. And so now we're going to pick up the story. We're going to pick up the action in Acts chapter 4, verse 5. Here's what it says. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Referring to the healing of the disabled beggar. Now, does any of this sound familiar? Do you recognize the names of any of the people mentioned? Annas and Caiaphas. These were the same officials who oversaw the trial of Jesus just 60 days before this event. And you remember how that turned out. Jesus was crucified. What is now happening to Peter and John was the very thing they feared would happen in the days following the crucifixion. And remember how we studied just a few weeks ago. This is why they were hiding in the upper room with the doors locked on Easter. And now, sure enough, the day they feared had finally come. How will they handle it? Well, in verse 7, their captors ask that question. By what power or what name did you do this? And do you remember also how Peter answered the last time? that he was questioned about having a relationship with Jesus. You remember that? Luke chapter 24. Uh, Jesus is taken away to house arrest in the high priest's home, and Peter sits down by a fire with a group of people. Well, there's this little slave girl, a servant girl, who recognizes Peter's face, even in the dim light of the flames in the fire pit. And she says... This man was with Jesus. And do you remember Peter's response? Woman, in other words, little girl, I don't even know the man, he said. That's not how Peter will answer this time. In fact, look at Acts 4, verse 10. Know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. Do you hear it? He talks with boldness. He talks with courage. He is unashamed. Peter and John proclaimed the name of Jesus. So Peter is very, a very different man than he was just 60 days earlier, wouldn't you say? Well, the council convenes privately, trying to decide what to do with their prisoners. They can't deny the healing of the lame man that just happened. And they can't really punish Peter and John after such a remarkable miracle. All they can do is silent, silence the disciples of Jesus. So the religious leaders command these disciples of Jesus not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus anymore. To which Peter and John reply, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. In other words, we can't keep quiet, they said. Not after what Christ has done for us. And we can't stand still. Not after what Christ has done for this needy man. Peter and John are saying, we must, we must reach more people. We must spread the news. So here's the big idea for this text. The churches of people that can't keep quiet and can't stand still after what Christ has done. Hear that again. The church is a people that can't keep quiet and can't keep still after what Christ has done. From the very beginning, when the women ran from the tomb to tell the disciples that Jesus was alive, the church has been a people who talk about Jesus, making disciples of all nations. Now, this raises an important question. Can a silent people really be a biblical church? Not according to Acts 4. To be silent in talking about Jesus is to keep secret what Christ commanded to be made known. I like how Brian Wilkerson illustrates this. He says this Imagine telling a political party that they are free to exist as long as they stop trying to get people elected. In other words, they can study the issues and they can articulate a platform. They can set up headquarters. They can build an organization in any city they choose. They can hold conventions and they can raise money and celebrate their values and wear red or blue to their heart's content. But they must stop. They must stop trying to influence elections and shape the nation's agenda. Now that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Getting people elected and getting people uh, and shaping the agenda. It's the very reason a political party exists. And yet isn't that what the religious the Jewish religious leaders were demanding the early church to do? Stay quiet about Jesus. But to talk about Jesus is the very reason the church exists. If we fail to talk about Jesus, church, we have no mission. I find it interesting how tolerant the religious leaders were about many of the faith practices of the early church. These religious leaders, they were okay if the early church continued to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching they were okay if the church fellowshipped. Uh, they were okay with the breaking of bread that the church did, and they were even okay with their prayers. It appears that the early church was never under the threat of death or prison because they met together in the temple courts. They never were in threat because of meeting in one another's houses. They were never under threat of death or prison because they praised God or because they sold their possessions to care for one another's needs. None of that was a threat to them. But, But if they were to speak one word about Jesus, the Jewish leaders were determined to silence the church. But I love what Peter says. We can't do it. We can't stop sharing the love. We can't stop sharing the truth of Christ with others. Now remember, Peter and John were under arrest. They were, they were facing prison and death. And all they had to do to get the authorities off their back was to agree not to speak or act in the name of Jesus publicly. But they couldn't do it. They couldn't agree to that. We can, they said, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Where did Peter and John find the courage to do this? What drove them? How do we explain this change that has come over Peter uh, such that in 60 days he's gone from a quivering coward to a fearless leader? Well, Luke tells us in Acts chapter 4, verse 8, It says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. The word filled is the same word used to describe the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So Luke wants us to see how God helps the church that is willing to speak about Jesus by giving his disciples the Holy Spirit for boldness of proclamation. That is exactly what Jesus promised he would do back in Luke chapter 21, verse 15. He said, This, I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Isn't that great? To keep the church talking about Jesus, even under the threat of death, the Holy Spirit gives us boldness. In his book, Against the Flow, Oxford professor John Lennox notes that when God calls us to do something difficult, he gives us the strength when we need it, not before we need it. In fact, Lennox illustrates this biblical principle with a story about an encounter with a Russian follower of Jesus who spent years, years in a Siberian labor camp for the crime of teaching his children about the Bible. Here's what Lennox writes. He described to me that he had seen things that no man should ever have to see. I listened, thinking how little I really knew about life and wondering how how I would have fared under his circumstances. As if he had read my thoughts, he suddenly said to me, you couldn't cope with that, could you? Embarrassed, Lennox stumbled, stumbled something out saying like, No, I'm sure you're right. I couldn't do it. And the Russian grinned and he said, nor could I. I was a man who fainted at the sight of his own blood, let alone that of others. But what I discovered in the camp was this. God does not help us to face theoretical situations, but real ones. Like you, I couldn't imagine how one could cope in a Siberian prison camp. But once there, I found that God met me exactly as Jesus had promised his disciples when he was preparing them for victimization and persecution. And Lennox adds this, We can be confident then that the Lord will give us a sufficient amount of grace to handle whatever comes our way. Whenever whenever it comes our way, and not necessarily a moment before powerful isn't it now besides having the holy spirit there's a second reason for peter and john's boldness look what verse 13 says when they that's the rulers and the elders of the people when they saw the courage of peter and john and realized they were unschooled ordinary men now let me ask you really quick who fits that description unschooled, ordinary people. Well, listen to what it says. They were astonished. Now catch this. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You see, that's the other source of Peter and John's courage, having been with Jesus. Now you may be thinking, there it is, Troy. That's why I can't speak to anyone about Jesus, because. I have never been with Jesus. Okay, true, you've never physically been with him, but let me ask you a question. Uh, If you're listening to me this morning, how many of you have at least one Bible? Okay, if you have a Bible, in your Bible, does it contain the New Testament? Okay, if it contains the New Testament, uh, would you check to make sure it includes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels of Jesus? Does it? Okay. If you read and study the Gospels, you've been with Jesus. So you can have the courage to speak about Jesus. You see, your willingness to speak about Jesus is tied to the time you've put into getting to know Jesus through the Gospels. If you and I aren't compelled to share Christ with others, it could be It could be because we haven't gone very deep with Jesus ourselves. Think about it. You see, it's exciting to read how unstoppable the early church was, even in the face of persecution. But you know, the same is true of the church today around the world. In fact, I want to share with you a closing story of a Chinese Christian brother named Zong. Now, as I tell you this story, Here's what I don't want you to do. Do not put him on a pedestal. He is a normal man, one who worships and learns about Jesus in a smaller church than Blendville, but it's in China. He's a man who studies the word with fewer resources for Bible study than what we have in Joplin, Missouri. In, in fact, most of the time, he just has his Bible. Now listen to his story. Zong was attending a training course for his house church when the Chinese Public Security Bureau raided their meeting on the first day. Now, this group, think of them as religious police. They came in, and along with Zong, all the church leaders were arrested. The prison authorities shaved their heads and interrogated them. To get them to talk, the church leaders were warned that the other prisoners would beat them up if they were thrown into a prison cell. Well, these church leaders, they were unwilling, unwilling to give the authorities the names of their church members. Zong and another church leader were thrown into a prison cell. They were in that cell and they were terrified. In fact, as they picked themselves up off the floor of that prison cell, they looked up to see 16 other prisoners. And these prisoners were lined up in two rows and they were thumping their fists into their hands. They were ready to fight. Zong said that his heartbeat raced as he sent prayers up to God. And the leader of the gang in that cell asked him this question, why are you here? And Zong said, because we're Christians. You mean you don't beat people up? Zong said, no, not at all. And then the gang leader asked him this strange question, do you sing? Well, yes. And the gang leader ordered the church leaders to sing a song. Zong wept as he sang, and the Holy Spirit moved. In their midst. And by the time they finished sting, singing, every prisoner was in tears. Now, to Zong's surprise, the gang leader asked to hear the gospel. And after that, the gang members hungered to hear the gospel every single day. Well, there was a Sunday that came, and together in that cell, they held a worship service. And the prison guard demanded to know who the leader of this worship service was. It was worthy of punishment. The guard threatened to punish everyone if no one spoke up. Zong, to protect the gang members, he stood up and confessed that he was the leader of the church in that small cell. The prison guard forced Zong to remove his clothes and to stand at an inclined angle to the wall. Well, the gang leader couldn't bear it anymore. He asked to be punished punished with Zong, and then all the others volunteered to do the same. The infuriated guard, he stormed out, and Zong was moved by every gang member's willingness to suffer punishment with him. Here's what's amazing. One of the gang members who had been there for three years, he became a believer in Christ that day. May I ask you a question? As a believer in Jesus, couldn't you do that? Knowing that we are filled with the Spirit, don't each of us know Jesus deep enough to stand with Zong and be persecuted for Christ? You see, if the early church couldn't keep quiet or stand still, even in the face of persecution, if our brother in China couldn't keep quiet in a prison cell with gang members, How can we at Blenville do any less than speak about Jesus to people we encounter on a daily basis? Church, speak about Jesus.